survey Christ crucified, which is right for me to survey. It's right for me to turn my eyes. It's right for me to turn my focus to remember Christ crucified. The end of that first verse is the application. I remember Christ crucified, and so I pour contempt on my self-righteousness. The two are opposed. I cannot rightly behold Christ on the cross while at the same time trusting in myself. A further application comes later in the song. Such love demands everything. If I see Christ crucified rightly, such love demands my life, my soul, my everything. Which flows into the text that we are looking at this morning, that there is not a partial Christianity, that there's not a Jesus plus the world kind of way to go about it. When I see Jesus rightly, then it demands everything about me. If you have your Bibles open and you're able, I invite you to stand. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 4. We'll pick up reading in verse 21. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Lord, we confess together that this is your word. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and cause it to live and work in our hearts. Help us, God, to see the utter authority that these words contain. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would call some from death to life. I pray that you would encourage the saint and strengthen them to carry on. God, in all of this, we ask that you are glorified. We pray it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you perhaps remember the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Anybody remember? It's better than the new one, sorry. But in the original movie, which is an adaption of the book, uh, Charlie, along with the other children, are given a piece of candy, an everlasting gobstopper. And on their way to the factory, uh, Slugworth offers to buy it. He's a, he's a rival competition to Mr. Wonka, and he offers to buy it if they'll sell it to him. And so they go in and they tour the factory and one by one the children drop off and we don't see them again until at last Charlie is with Willie and Willie's going crazy and says, just leave, you've lost everything. And Charlie's grandfather says, come on Charlie, we'll just go sell this to Mr. Slugworth. And so Charlie takes the gobstopper and he places it on Willie's desk and he says, here Mr. Wonka and walks off. And then of course if you know the story, uh, Willy Wonka, you know, over, is overjoyed with happiness. He's found someone who he knows he can trust. And so in addition to the gobstopper, he gives Charlie the factory. He gives Charlie all that he has. And so what we see is that the children who had the gobstopper, 
they really wouldn't have gotten anything from it because Mr. Slugworth worked for Willie in the first place. So even what they had would have been taken away. But the little that Charlie had, that he used rightly, that became something that he never could have imagined. And Jesus says there's something very similar that happens with our faith. If you've got your, if you've got your notes, you can see the main idea this morning that I want us to see and consider together is this. That the message of salvation is made clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ is clear. Therefore, or because it's clear, we are to take great care in how we see and how we hear and how we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's clear there's not multiple messages out there. There's not a message to the insider and the outsider if you've been here the last few weeks. There's one message, Christ crucified for sins. And because it is clear to all, Jesus says, take great care in what you do with it. Well, in the context, we are following up from last week's parable. If you weren't here last week, we looked at the parable of the soils in Mark 4, 1 to 20, where Jesus said the sower went out and sowed the seed, and it fell on four different types of soil, and only one produced. Well, he's given us further insight into that parable. He's given us further insight into why it's such a big deal. He's shedding more light on the reality of the gospel and calling all to repent and trust in him alone. And so what I want to give you this morning is is an applicational sermon. I try to always apply it, but I want us to consider together, what do we do with this? How, in fact, do we hear? Jesus is calling us to hear. How how do we hear? Well, he answers first with the parable of the lamp in verses 21 to 23. He says, it's a lamp brought in to be hidden. If you've got a bedside table with a lamp on it, is the lamp underneath the table? Probably not. It should be on top of the table so that when it's on, its light is cast around the room. And so to light up the room. And Jesus is point is this, that the gospel message is to be spread far and wide. So to the saint who hears the parable of the sower, what we should not take away from that is we need to decide where to, where to plant the seed and not plant the seed. We need to be careful to only plant the seed on good soil. Jesus says that's, that's entirely missing the point. He said, our response as believers is to cast the seed of the gospel as widely and as liberally as we can. Because we don't have a lamp and shove it under something. We don't have a seed and keep it hidden. On the the contrary, that lamp should go right in the middle so that its light is spread forth everywhere. It's also a correction to anybody who misunderstands his Isaiah quotation. He quotes the prophet back up in verse 12. He says, Preach the gospel so that they may see, but indeed not comprehend. That they may hear, but not truly hear. And so, in efforts to keep us from thinking that the gospel is there for some, but not for others, Jesus is saying, make no mistake about it. The gospel is available to all. Therefore, be careful what you do with it. 
Well, we've talked about last week kind of the hiddenness of the kingdom. Jesus is teaching, he gives the parable, if you remember, to the crowds. And then afterwards it said, some from the crowds and the disciples come and ask him, hey, what's that mean? And he says, to you it's been made on the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to outsiders it's all in parables. It's the same message, but there is a hiddenness or a veiledness to the kingdom of God. So much so that not everyone sees Jesus the same. Not everyone perceives that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. Not everyone responds to Jesus as God. You see, some people see Jesus in his veiled sense or his covered sense, and it makes no sense to them. They look at Jesus as, isn't that the guy that was hung on the cross? Isn't that the guy that was beaten? Isn't that the guy that was murdered? Isn't that the guy that was put into a tomb? And oh, by the way, isn't that the guy who's 2,000 plus years old ago? That happened a long time ago? And for some people, the idea of Christ crucified as the salvation of mankind just doesn't make sense. It is veiled. They don't see how suffering unto death is a triumph That achieves life. Some people understand that if that's the path that Jesus walks, that's the path I have to walk, I'm not interested in that. We see the hiddenness is also, the hiddenness of God's kingdom is a now kind of thing, but it's also a to come kind of thing. The hiddenness of the kingdom exists now. So much so, as I said, that some people can't see. Some people can't understand rightly. But there is coming a time when the hiddenness, when the veiledness of God's kingdom, when the cloak that that keeps it veiled will be ripped off and all will see clearly. There will be no discussion as to whether Jesus is the Savior or not. There will be no discussion as to whether Jesus is King or not. There is coming a time where all will confess, either willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus is the King. And so to those who see and who hear now, to those of us who are given the secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven now, we know that that's coming. We know that even though Jesus is veiled right now in weakness and suffering according to the world, we know that the kingdom of God is marching forward. We know that there's coming a time when Jesus will be unveiled in His fullness. We know that He has promised to come again for His people. And if you are a believer this morning, if you are in Christ this morning, then the anticipation of His second coming should drive you to live a Christ-like life. We are living in a world broken by sin. We are living in a world where sin is often very attractive. But we are living in a world where Jesus has says, take heart, I am coming again. And so even though the world may not understand Christ is triumphing at this moment, for those who understand the kingdom, we know that the, the, the kingdom is marching towards that time when it will be unveiled in full. But let me speak for a moment because there is one who cannot see. There are Christians, those who follow Jesus, those who are on the inside according to Mark, who hear the secrets of the kingdom. But there are also those who do not see. 
There are those who do not hear. You see, to those people, Jesus is nothing special. They can't see how a homeless preacher who died on a cross is the God of the universe who is carrying out salvation to his people. They might see the benefit of being a cultural Christian, that is, going to church on Sunday and acting religious and owning a Bible. That might get them some cultural benefit, but they don't see that Jesus is all to them. They do not see him in his veiledness now, and because they do not see him as Lord now, they do not anticipate having to encounter him then. Inasmuch as there is a warning to those who approach Jesus carelessly, and make no mistake, there is a warning. Jesus is saying the gospel's not hidden. That the gospel isn't out there waiting for you to find it. The gospel is in bright lights on a billboard. Christ crucified for sins. And so the warning that Jesus is issuing is for those who would treat that carelessly. For those who encounter that message and treat it passively. Or treat it as if it has no consequence. Or treat it like it's worth my Sunday, but no other time. There is a warning. And Jesus says, do not be that person. But inasmuch as there is a warning, there is also a promise. There is a promise for those of us who are in Christ. And the promise is that what we see in a veiled sense now, well, there is coming a time, the Lord says, well, it will be, the veil will be stripped off and we will see God in full. You see, In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Right now, we see through a glass darkly. But then we will see him face to face. And what he means is, there is sin in the world, there is strife in the world, there is brokenness in the world, and we can't see God in full yet because of all that. But we know through the Holy Spirit that God is working all things for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that Jesus is our Lord. We know that He died on the cross and was raised triumphantly on the third day. And we know that our life is held fast in Him. But we don't see it all yet. And Paul says there's coming a day. And you see, in the promise, there is hope, but also in the promise, there is warning. Don't neglect such wonderful news. That's why Jesus says, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. That means nothing is hidden except to be made clear. The gospel is veiled, but it is not unknown. There's coming a time when it will be made known clearly, so much so that there will be a reckoning. There won't be time at that point to say, oh yes, I choose Jesus now, I see clearly. There's coming a time when it will be unveiled in full. And so Jesus says, hear well. Well, he's into the second point, which is the measure. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Because there is to come a great revealing of Jesus Christ. That's to come. Because that is in the future, Jesus says, pay attention now. 
We get out what we put in. We get out what we put in. Therefore, we must take great care in how we hear and respond to the gospel. Now, I want to be careful here because what I'm not saying is that we behave our way into heaven. We don't earn our salvation. Our salvation comes totally from God. And God holds it fast. And we are in His hand and Jesus says no one can take us out of His hand. Not even us. But don't miss that Jesus says clearly. We get out of the gospel what we put in. So if you hear the message of Jesus Christ and you say, yeah, that's great, but it's not for me, that's exactly what you will get. It's nothing for you. And if you hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, yes, I need Jesus utterly and desperately and in all ways, guess what? That's what you get. Jesus utterly and desperately in all ways. And so, brothers and sisters, we get out what we put in. And so the command to hear, Jesus says, is an indication of how we live now. The measure with which a man measures. If our measure, or that's another word for response, if our response to Jesus is rich and profound, if the word of the gospel proclaimed is received and applied with joy, Jesus says you will have an even greater experience of the gospel that you can't even yet imagine. The, the joy that we get by walking with Jesus day by day, the joy that we get by having our inner selves renewed and poured into day by day, the joy that we get by reading His Word and encountering Him through prayer, that is only a very small foretaste of heaven. What a promise. And yet, Jesus says, if you treat Jesus like he is nothing. If you treat Jesus like He is your get out of hell free card, if you have no true response to Jesus, then that's all of Jesus you will ever get. What is ultimately given in heaven is a salvation that is far richer than we can anticipate here and now if we are in Christ and the judgment delivered in hell is something far more terrifying than we can think now. And so Jesus' point is to highlight the reality that what will be received in the life to come depends on that which we receive and possess now. Therefore, take great care in how you hear. The other side of this is terrifying. To the one who has not, even what he has will be stripped from him. Jesus is clarifying what's been going on in the parable of the soils. Because if you're a member of the four soils that received the seed, only one produced. Three shot up plants. You see, the rocky soil shot up a plant. The thorny soil shot up a plant. But only the good soil produced a harvest. And see, to the man or to the woman who, in hardness of heart, refuses the word, 
That person will experience the absolute loss described in Jesus' terms. Even what you have will be taken. You see, the seed that falls on the rocky soil... Jesus said, that's the person who likes Jesus when it's easy, but doesn't want to walk the road of hardship. That person thinks they have Jesus, but as soon as they come under pressure, they realize it's nothing. And so what Jesus is saying is, if that's all that you have of faith, that little bitty bit, if that's all you have in the end, that will be snatched away. And to the person who's so in love with the world, that your love of the world chokes out any kind of faith. Jesus says, that little bit that you have, which is nothing, even that is snatched away. So pastor said, what one received from the sower, received, past tense, in this life, what one received from the sower will be received from the judge in double measure. If we respond to Christ rightly in faith and repentance, and if we walk before Him in faith, then we will receive a faith that is far and away greater than we could ever imagine. But if we neglect, if we neglect the the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we live our lives like Jesus isn't a big deal, then we will be judged in a far harsher way than we could have ever imagined. And so because the kingdom of God enters, through, enters the world through the word, because God's kingdom enters the world through the word, that is, the gospel, the matter of one's response to Jesus is of ultimate seriousness. The way in which you respond to and interact with the gospel of Jesus Christ is the single most important thing about your life. And so I want to spend the time I have left applying this. I try to apply it every single week, but I want us to walk out of here feeling the weight of, I need to, I have to respond to Jesus' message. Well, you see in your notes there, I put three words. See, hear, and respond. The main idea, as I said a moment ago, was that the message of salvation is clear. The gospel's clear. Therefore, we take great care in what we see, how we see, how we hear, and how we respond. Because it's clear, we are to respond carefully. And so the first word, see. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says that the eye is the lamp to the body, to the soul. And what he's talking about there is, there is a great importance on how we focus our lives. It's not so much what we are looking at at any one moment as much as what are we focused on? Do you live your life with a regular reference to God, trying to be God-centered in all ways and bringing glory to Him, or are you focused on the world where God has a small part in that? And his point is that if we are focused on the world, then we cannot comprehend the secrets of the kingdom of God. You see, there are many and have been many, and perhaps this is the case with some of you. There are many who hear the word. They hear the gospel ring forth. They hear the command to repent and be saved through Jesus Christ. 
And yet it just doesn't make sense. They might feel emotional in a moment. They might agree with it for a time, but they just don't understand. I can't see it. I don't understand it. In that moment, or multiple moments perhaps, as I've talked with a number of people over the years, they feel the need to trust Him. They like the thought of being saved. But they're just not exactly sure, what am I being saved from? I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like I I do pretty good. I keep it between the lines. Why do I need to be saved? And Jesus said, if that's where you are, you are not seeing clearly. Many people in the world like the idea of Jesus. They like the thoughts that He is a healer. They like the thoughts that He meets needs. They like the thoughts that He provides even when provision seems so far removed. They like the thoughts that He offers salvation from a very unwelcomed eternity in hell. They like all those things about Jesus, but they are so rooted in the world that they cannot come to Him. They like the thought of Jesus. But they cannot come to Him as Lord because they are so rooted in the world. They cannot see how Jesus is better than having all that the world offers. And Jesus says, be careful. Those thorns will choke out what little faith you have because it was really no faith to begin with. If this is you, Jesus says, recognize that fact and repent and come to Him. Some people, some of you perhaps, have such a love and commitment to the world that you cannot understand the things of God. We were talking in our Sunday school class just a few moments ago that Jesus' answer to anxiety is to seek first the kingdom. And if all of your hope, all of your worries, if everything about you is tied up in the world, then that's not going to help you. You don't see how seeking first the kingdom is an answer to anxiety. But, Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount by saying, we have to be totally emptied of all that's natural within us so that God can fill us up with all that's in Him so that when we come to have fits of anxiety, we can remember God is in total control of this. There's only one master in my heart, and he is working all things out, therefore my anxiety is pointless. But if you're so tied up with the world, hear me well, that means nothing to you. If I were to say God's kingdom is at work conquering the world, some of people just don't know what that means. Because they don't understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that that's you. You are seeing wrongly. It is often attractive to think if, if God would just make himself clear, if God would just speak right to me, if God would just do a miracle in my life, if God would just fill in the blank, then I would believe. Then I could believe. But Jesus says the hiddenness of the kingdom of God lies behind the blindness that the world brings. Brother and sister, if you you are so intently focused on the world, you will not be able to see the things of the kingdom of God. 
when we are focused on the world, when we are treasuring the world, when we are giving ourselves to the world, we cannot see God and we cannot comprehend his kingdom. In Philippians 3, Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he was a a Pharisee. He's recounting his, his salvation experience. And what he says is, I was a religious superstar. I was from the right people group. I I kept all the rules. I had everything going for me. And then he says, but I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. And really in the context, what he means, hear me well, is not just that it's loss, but it was a stumbling block. He's saying being religious, thinking I had it all together was actually keeping me from knowing Christ. And so he says, not only is it a loss because it doesn't count, it's a loss because it was holding me back. And so if you are this morning focused on the world, if you are this morning hoping in all of your religious behavior and practice, Jesus says, don't be delusional, you're seeing wrongly. There is only one hope for the sinner, and it is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Which is why the second point is so clear, that it's so necessary that we rightly hear the word of God. As I noted last week, Jesus will mention hearing 13 times in 34 verses. And the emphasis is not on just the physical hearing of what's being said. It's on how are you comprehending the gospel in your heart? What are you doing with Jesus in your life? Recall what I said just a moment ago. What will be received in the life to come depends on what we do with it now. And so if you are leading a life thinking you're a Christian, but there's nothing Christian about you, then you should expect that's what's going to be true of your life to come. There will be nothing godly about it. But the promise is that we are, if we are following Christ faithfully now, even when it seems like things are coming undone and we may struggle for money and I may be sick and I may not see how Jesus is triumphing, the promise is God is holding us fast. And His people are secure. Mark has shown us a number of things about Jesus in His gospel. That He's God that he battles Satan on behalf of the people of God, that he has the authority to teach, that he is God himself, that he has the authority to call us to follow him, to heal sickness, to forgive sins. And so Mark says, brother or sister, see rightly. And he says, remember, I have held up for you two wrong responses. Don't be like the crowds who only think Jesus is there to meet whatever needs they have. Don't be like the Pharisees who think they can behave their way into God's good graces. Both of them are wrong. Jesus says to his disciples, if you remember, in chapter 3, verse 14, he called his disciples to be with him. To have their life identified by his life. To live as he lives. And then the second part was to send them out. You see, God says if we are rightly seeing and hearing the truth of the gospel, we are being commissioned to go and spread the gospel widely. And so my plea to you this morning is to respond faithfully. Which for Mark means coming to Jesus on Jesus' terms. 
coming to Jesus to be with him, to have our lives identified by his life, to have our sins forgiven by his once for all sacrifice, to have him be Lord over our lives. Are you responding faithfully? Are you? That's the question for you in your heart. Are you responding faithfully to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to read some scripture for you to consider. Your answer to that question is nothing that anyone will grade. You're not trying to please anyone. The answer to that question is of ultimate seriousness because it will determine what's most essential about your life. It will determine whether you go to be with God in heaven or whether you will be separated from God in hell for eternity. If you hear that with seriousness, then know that you are hearing it. If you are hearing it passively and casually, then take warning. This text I want you to consider is from Romans chapter 12. And it's called Marks of the True Christian. Ask of this text, is this true of me? It says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slow in your zeal, but be fervent in your spirit to serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Give to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And remember... Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to God. For God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, the Lord says, but overcome evil with good. See, some of you this morning need to repent of your sins for the first time and trust in Jesus. And if that's you, if you realize I've never heard rightly, I've never seen rightly, and God is opening your eyes to that and unstopping your ears to that this morning, then I plead with you on the authority of God's word to repent of your sin and come to Christ for salvation. There is no special prayer to pray. There's nothing ritualistic to do. But I urge you, in your heart, come to Christ and plead with Him, save me from my sins. And the, and, and the promise from Scripture is that He is faithful to save. There are some of you who need to repent of distractedness and worldliness. You are realizing that you have set your focus on the wrong thing. That while Jesus has been a part of your life, your focus has been on the world. And Jesus is calling you to repent because there is no life there. That is actually the path of death because it will choke out your faith. And so I plead with you to repent. All of us need to thank God for His deep promises. His deep and abiding promises to His people. And God, we do thank You for those things. We do thank You that Your Word is so very clear. 
And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use your word now to work in our lives, to cause faith, to strengthen faith, to convict sin. Lord, help us to respond rightly. Help us to respond worshipfully, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song called, Be Thou My Vision. And the heart of the song is a prayer that only God can give us wisdom and insight. Only God can lead us to life. Only God can lead us to salvation. So this morning, if God is working and you don't neglect it, I'll be down front available to pray with you and counsel with you. Come, come and pray at the altar. Pray with one another. But do not neglect the word of God. Amen.